All right, is this working? Yeah. They're working. Okay. It's fine. Okay. All right, we're going to start. That sounds very artificial. We are all assembled here tonight to discuss uh, creating picture books for children. Uh, Ava Weiss uh, from Green Willow Books was to be your moderator, but she was called away to Asia to oversee the printing of some picture books. So I am taking her place. My name is Marjorie Kyler, and I'm vice president and editor-in-chief of Holiday House, which is a trade children's book publisher. Um, I should say that the panel here tonight is made up of the creme de la creme of children's book authors and artists. And I'm very proud to be sharing the panel with them. Uh, I think picture books are a very misunderstood category of children's book publishing because more than any other category, they have given children's books the um, reputation for being very easy to create. And in fact, picture books are the most difficult of all picture books, of all uh, children's books to create. Uh, I often hear people say, oh, you're writing a picture book, how easy, how fun. But it's not. It's like writing a very, very difficult poem. Each word counts and each space between the words counts. Um, and we get at Holiday House roughly 5,000 submissions a year. And I haven't bought one picture book from the slush pile in two years. That's how hard it is to find a good picture book text. And yet we have published many of our picture books from the slush pile. It's just that they're far and few in between. Illustrating a children's book is extremely difficult. Uh, every day I look at artist portfolios and I realize how few people coming out of art school have really learned to draw, have really learned to master the points of anatomy, etc. So I have to say that the people here on this panel and the other fine uh, writers and illustrators in the picture book field are d truly distinguished. And I would like to introduce our panel uh, right now. To my left, we have Richard Egel uh, Arthur Yarings, Richard Egelski, <laughs> M.B. Gofstein, Stephen Kroll, Anita Lobel, and Emily McCulley. Uh, now, Richard and Arthur, I gather you would like to do a joint presentation. Is that correct? Okay. <laughs> they've collaborated on many books. Uh, Arthur Yorings, who is farthest to my left, is the author of a number of celebrated picture books, including at least three that were illustrated by Richard Ilgalski, who is the gentleman <laughs> two people in. <laughs> One of these books, Hey Al, was the 1986 Caldecott Medal winner. I should also add that Arthur Yorinks uh, and Maurice Sendak together are starting uh, a national theatrical company called the Sundance Children's Theater. Arthur. Well, I, I just want to say just a few words about how I got into children's books and what <coughs> what led me to uh, to the field and then 
Um, Richard will probably talk about that as well, and just a just a real sliver of how we collaborate, because I think Richard and I are, <coughs> in some ways, kind of unique um, uh, as a collaborative team. Although both Richard and I do separate work, we we work together quite often. Um, I I grew up not having many picture books, not having any picture books. Matter of fact, I didn't even know what a picture book was until I got into high school. But I always wanted to be a writer, and I always liked literature, and grew up as an avid reader. <coughs> and when I got out of high school, it was either be a telephone repairman or write books. <laughs> and the choice seemed to me to be self-evident because I don't like to climb up poles. So um, I uh, I basically think of my work. Uh, in children's books as a form that is unique among all literature. It's it, to me, putting words and pictures together is a, a very risky business and very um, a very exacting business. And writing a picture book, which is what I do, um, which is another sort of unique thing. There are many writers, illustrators, and, and illustrators just a writer who sort of devotes most of my time, most of his time, to simply writing books that have to have pictures to accompany them is a very special thing. And why it's special is because um, what makes a good picture book text is something that um, leaves room for pictures. And that's kind of self-evident, but it must leave room for pictures in a particular way. And in that particular way uh, is that you must infuse in a picture book uh, text everything, all the elements of a good story. Um, it has to have a plot, and it has to have characters, and it has to have the normal things that a good story has. But it, it can't overwhelm and it can't describe things so specifically that that pictures become irrelevant. It must project language and images and rhythm and all sorts of things by um, leaving things out as well as putting things in. Um, part of our collaboration, the way Richard and I work together, and people ask a lot how, how it is that we work together, and I always give what seems like a very facetious answer which is that I write this story and Richard draws the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it is, but it really is that way. Uh, I, I get an idea and I write a story um, up to about 99% final draft. And I send it over to Richard. And hopefully Richard gets excited by it and we decide we're going to do it as a book. And then Richard takes over, um, and in the process of my sending it to Richard, I do not have any idea about how things look, or what the characters look like, or um, images that are pictorial images. I simply try to give the story what it needs to be a good story, and infuse in it certain sometimes clues. Um, but I have no idea what the pictures are going to look like uh, because I, I, Richard being the, the great illustrator that he is, 
takes his cues from the text and then infuses his own um, personality and um, vision onto the book. And that kind of mutual respect, I guess is the best word, is the glue that binds the words and the pictures together. Um, Richard, Let me just say before Richard talks that um, he and Arthur have collaborated on most of Arthur's books. Um, besides Louis the Fish, It Happened in Pinsk, Sid and Saul, and the aforementioned Caldecott winner, uh, Richard Igelsky is the celebrated illustrator of a number of other picture books and middle grade novels. Um, I never really intended to be a, a, a children's book artist. It wasn't an, an early aspiration of mine. I sort of came about it by a process of elimination. Um, I had been going to art school since I was 13 years old. I went to an art high school here in New York City and I was through advertising. I, at one point I thought I wanted to be a painter. Uh, other time I thought I wanted to be a Norman Rockwell. I, wanted, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be an artist of some sort. And I always had this uh, tendency to draw uh, sequential images, um, pictures connecting to one another. Um, I'd like to put a, a, a figure, a person in a scene and have something happen. But I never felt like a cartoonist because it took me a long time to develop these ideas and, and work them out in my, my style. I always wanted something a little more involved than what I saw in, in cartoon panels. But I never really knew what to do with this. And I was in Parsons School of Design. I was studying to be an, an illustrator. And I really, I was just drifting to being a, a commercial artist doing magazine and um, advertising work. And uh, Marie Sendak came and taught a course at Parsons. And like Arthur, I really wasn't aware of uh, picture books when I was a, a child. And uh, later on, when I did become aware of them, I sort of always thought of them as baby books and never really paid much attention to them. But d in this class, um, through Sendak, I, 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 I learned um, it had all those things about connecting images that I was always interested in. And it allowed me to, to put more things in my pictures. And it wasn't a cartoon. And all of a sudden, all the things I was looking for in an artistic form sort of came together for me in a picture book, so um, in a picture book form. So really, I fell in love with the form, actually, with the idea of, in most cases, the picture book being 32 pages, having this very short story and within 32 pages visually telling the story or, or telling my part of the story. Um, what I like about working with Arthur, as he said, is that he does the things that the words do best, and I try to do what I think the pictures do best, which in many cases describing things. Um, uh, Arthur doesn't put a lot of dis description in, in his books, which gives me a lot of freedom, and I'm able to invent a lot of things. I've always been influenced by films, and to me, picture books in a way are almost like little films, and I get to be the director, I get to cast all the characters, I get to design the costumes, do the sets, I, and direct the action, I get to do everything. So I love the form, and, um, and not having picture books as a child, I think, has also made me interested in, in, in the child as my audience. It's not something I do, I don't really do it 
for any existing child. I guess I do it for the child and me, the child that I was, the things that I think I would like or that just the things that I like now actually is what I try to do um, in my picture books. Um, I really work for an audience of one being me and if I like it, if it's good, if I don't like it, it's bad and that's, that's my, my main criteria. <laughs> um, and, uh, and working with author, we've done many books together and author, one, one good thing about um, working with author is, well, author just happens to write what I feel is the perfect text for me. I, don't, I think there is some sort of a chemistry because he tends to write the things that I, just the things that I want to do when I feel like doing them. The story's just, <laughs> the right story comes <laughs> along at the right time and I guess, you know, very lucky in, the, in that regard. Before we move on, I think Arthur should tell the story about how uh, Richard ended up illustrating his first book. I heard it at dinner, and it's, it's very interesting. I, I uh, grew up never believing in fate, but it, it just keeps pounding its <laughs> lovely ha hammer on my head, and this is mo part of what happened. Um, I met Maurice Sendak many, many years ago, 20 years ago, and um, we're old friends, and, and oh, about 15 years, well, in the mid-70s, uh, early 70s, I was lament, I, I came to children's books with a very naive notion that to collaborate as a writer, um, you should know who the illustrator is and talk to them and things like that. and, and that sometimes isn't the case in publishing children's books. Sometimes you don't even know who it is as a writer. You don't know who's doing your pictures until it comes out. But I was lamenting to Maurice one day about wanting to find someone to work with. And he was racking his brains and said, well, I had a student at Parsons where he was teaching at the time a year ago who I think would really be terrific for your work. I said, great. He said, his name is Richard. I said, great. Richard what? And he said, Richard. Um, I can't remember his last name. I said, Thanks, Maurice. That city of eight million people, that piece of information will be quite valuable. <laughs> so um, he said, well, I just can't remember his last name, but I can describe him to you. So I said, well, <laughs> all right. So he described Richard to a T, I must say, and um, I, I, uh, I said, well, I don't know if that information will do me any good either. Uh, he said, well, I, I, if I can remember his last name, I'll definitely let you know. I said, okay, thanks. So about seven or eight months passed, and I was um, going up to Parsons, where he was teaching, to have lunch with him one day, and while waiting for him to finish class, there was this man standing in front of the elevator, front of the elevator on the eleventh floor, and he was obviously on his way out because I and I saw the numbers flashing one, two, three. It's like a countdown. And I said, "Gee, he looks exactly like his description," <laughs> and I I couldn't believe it. And then the combination of desperately needing somebody to work with. And the elevator numbers going higher and higher and higher and higher to reach 11. I got up all of my guts and 
um, went over to tap him on the shoulder, and Richard's much taller than I, so I ended up tap tapping him on his back. <laughs> but um, I tapped him on, uh, on his back, and I said, Richard. And <laughs> as you well know, in New York City, when you tap somebody on the shoulder and say their first, a stranger saying their first name, that Richard whipped around and glared at me and said, yes. And I said, well, I don't know your last name. <laughs> <laughs> But you do look like this description, <laughs> and it indeed was Richard, and he had his portfolio by, he was, by sheer fate, was happened to come by Parsons to visit Maurice, I think it was, that day, and so um, we met, and I adored his work, and we got together, and we started working, and the little epilogue of the story is that, um, we did our first book together, Sid and Saul, without, uh, without really having a publisher. Um, there's an element that I'll leave out because we sort of had a publisher, but we didn't want to publish there. But we, um, we did the whole book on our own. And Richard had did a marvelous dummy for it. And I said, Richard, let's take it to um, a man named Michael DiCapua, who was our editor for our Strauss and Drew. And he said, no, 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 you can't, you can't bring it there. He hates my work. I said, oh, I can't believe that. He's an intelligent man, and I had known him for years before. And I said, Richard, are you sure? He said, no, I had an interview with him last year. He absolutely despises what I do, but we can't take it there. So I thought about it and thought about it. I said, well, I really think if we could publish there, it would be good for us just to satisfy my own. Let, let me send just the story. And if he hates the story, it's all academic because it doesn't matter. If he loves the story, then I'll take it upon myself to deal with the situation. So I sent just the manuscript, and I got a call from Michael. And yes, indeed, he liked the story. He wanted to buy it. So I held my breath, and he said, and I, by the way, I, you know, I, I have an idea of who should illustrate it. And I said, oh. To myself, I said, oh, no, here we go. I'm going to have to deal with this problem. I said, I had an interview with a guy about a year ago. <laughs> I swear. No, I'm not. It's totally true. I said, oh, really? He said his name is, his name is Richard Rudowski. I said, are you sitting down, Michael? He said, what? I said, well, I've met Richard. You've met Richard? I said, yes, he's already finished the book. You've <laughs> finished the book. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> and it is true. Yeah, it's all true. Okay, well, uh, to my left is M.B. Goffstein, uh, an illustrator par excellence. Uh, she's also written her own texts. She's widely admired for her very unusual books, which include an artist's album, an artist, My Noah's Ark, and recently, Our Prairie Home, which she illustrated with photographs. Um, and here she is. Is this okay? Can, is this okay? Yeah, okay. Louder. I've never been on a panel with these guys, but I like what they said. <laughs> I'm usually alone. The picture book, to me, is a beautiful art form. It's a combination of art and poetry. And I work the way they do, except I collaborate with myself. I, I believe a story should be whole, 
and able to stand on its own. Um, when the books crumble, words remain. You know, so you should always be able to say your book out loud, you know, at the drop of a hat. Later on, um, you illustrate it just the way they do. And you tell the story again in pictures. You don't, you don't ha um, explain the story with the pictures. In other words, you, you don't say, well, that will, that will come clear when you see the pictures. The story has to stand on its own, and then the pictures have to stand on their own so they could tell the story without words. Then when you put those two together, you've got something really strong and beautiful. Um, at the end of next year, I will have published uh, 30 books. I've been publishing for 25 years, and I've I've never, ever, ever been bored or ever wanted to do anything else. It's a most beautiful art form, and it's a wonder to me that more poets and artists don't discover it. If you break down a poem and page it, and paging's as important as the writing and the illustrating. If, if a book is um, paged wrong, you you don't read the book right, but say that you have a poem and you page it correctly so that you guide the reader through it. Um, it's my turn to teach at Parsons now, <laughs> and I, I tell my students that when you, when you write and illustrate a picture book, it's like being a, a scout, say, and guiding someone very, very, very fragile across the street. You have to have exquisite good manners and be very, very careful. It's never, ever right not to have something understandable. But on the other hand, I don't ever think of children when I write my books, and I'm not sure about the child in me. But one thing I'm really sure of is that that little girl that I was, I never dropped her off anywhere. <laughs> That's me. But now I'm the adult. And I can do the things that I always wanted to do. And I've got spending power. If I want an antique doll, I will get that antique doll. So I write about the things I care about, and I get to do the things I always wanted to do. Uh, photographing is one of those things. And when I was eight years old and got a brownie, I fell in love. And I always wanted to work with a view camera. And now I get to do that. And there's no one to tell me you won't be able to or you'll lose interest in this. So about my books, I think the most important thing, I do intend them for children, but I don't write for children because I actually think it's disrespectful. Considering that you don't Nothing drops off you. I mean, you get your bones lengthen and your skin stretches, and you wear a bigger shoe. <laughs> but you're still the same person you were as a child. So I write for people, but mostly, as, as Richard said, I, I write for myself. I write the things that I want very, very much to explore. And I don't 
I don't call myself a writer, but I call myself an author because when I have written something, I have been an author like God, you know, author of life and death. Because you, sus you, you find out what the story wants to say. In certain ways, you have almost no responsibility. All you need is tremendous patience. You find out what, how the story should tell itself. You, you, you get it right. And then you can say it to yourself in the mirror without being embarrassed to death when you can say it in front of an audience, then the story is realized, and then, and then come the pictures. And the pictures, too, you don't have a preconceived idea. You, you believe in it, and you feel it all through you, so that when you finally draw a person, you say, oh, is that what you look like? You know, is that how it was when that happened? It's not you don't draw on the paper when you illustrate a book. You draw it from the paper. It's like it's happening on the paper. And you, you realize it again. I mean, that's the best word. It's not just what the stories are about, but it's the, f or even if they aren't stories, some of my books aren't stories. They're kind of like little essays. It's the, it's also the fact that somebody wanted to do those things that's, that's as important as, as the book. I mean, Somerset's mom said that people aren't always born at home, and they aren't always born to the right families, and this is something I do take seriously <laughs> as an author, that a child can be really unhappily placed, let's say, and you write a book about something and they happen to see it and they might think that life is worth living if there's somebody who cares about a certain subject, somebody who wanted to do a book about something. There's always room for more books on any subject, but I consider the, the concept of the book as important as the whole the whole rest um, when I'm doing it. It's picture book form has contained everything I've ever been interested in. The first first thing I I loved was pen and ink. I saw a man in Florida when I was a little girl who was drawing with pen and ink, and I loved it. and And I've done that, and then watercolor, and then pastels, and now um, photographs. I think that when I look back over my books, I'm proud of them, and I think there are, I don't know, you have to have sort of a sense of humor about it, I think they're outlandish maybe, <laughs> but I've published them all, and that gives me, that's a really good feeling. I don't think I've ever published a book that I haven't felt that I haven't really put something over on somebody. Do you know? Because they're things I care about so much. They're, they're my assignments to myself. I, I think that <coughs> nothing will be worthwhile if I can't do a certain book about something. And then the form, 
is so intimate. It's except for you know when librarians show and tell a picture book. A, a book is intimate. It's one on one. So you're just telling one person about something that you care about tremendously. You know, and, and it's almost like they're looking over your shoulder while you draw the pictures. It's all, it's all very intimate. I, I don't know. It's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful form. And for an artist, you're having a one-man show every time you publish a book. You know, they're between twenty and thirty pictures. They're sequential, and you are like God when you make a picture book because you have to sustain it. It's not a picture and a picture and a picture. It's if you've ever loved a, a picture book and then tried to find it again, and then you've, you've found it and you've looked for the picture that you loved so much, it's not there. It's all, it's never there. Because all those pictures in the book add up to one picture that doesn't even exist. So you're, you're sustaining your book. You, I mean, maybe, or maybe for a month or two months, you're just living in that book, and it's kind of like you've got your arms out like that, you know, and you're and you're bringing the whole thing to completion. And you should never think about what people will think when they read it or when they look at it, you know, because you just want it to be right. Thank you. That's the sign of a, of a true artist. Next, I'd like to introduce Stephen Kroll. Um, he is an illustrator's dream because he writes visually. If anything, <laughs> artists complain that the books are filled with too many images to illustrate. He is the author of more than 40 picture books, including his recent book, Looking for Daniela, illustrated by Anita Lobel, who is to his right. Stephen? Thank you, Margaret. That sounded lovely. I, I, should, I should say at the start that Marjorie is my editor, so <laughs> <laughs> perhaps that's why I come off sounding so well. <laughs> um, it's nice to be thought of as an, an illustrator's dream. I, wi I wish I felt a little more like God uh, no, some no, of the time, no, Noah. No, <laughs> <laughs> Anita knows I'm not God. We've done a book together. Yeah, I like <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But uh, not feeling like God was was one of the reasons of I didn't start out to become a writer or why I ran away from being a writer for as long as I did. Uh, growing up, like most of us in those days, though not now, since we all go out and do a fair amount of speaking, uh, no one ever introduced me to an author or an illustrator, and I didn't think that that writers or artists were like other people. I thought they were like gods. And since I was demonstratively not very much like that, I didn't think I could possibly do that. Uh, so I ran away from being a writer, and I became an editor instead, actually an, an editor of adult trade books, not children's books at all, nothing whatever to do with children's books. Um, 
I kind of got into children's books by accident, eventually having left publishing to, to transform the novel in our time the way so many of us go and do. Of course, no one wanted to publish those books at all. Uh, but what I discovered in doing them, I think, is a, a kind of extravagance of imagination uh, that I've been able to use uh, in picture books. There's a kind of extravagance that you find that you can find in, in picture books for children that is really impossible uh, to put uh, into uh, adult books. And uh, under under the guidance of my editor, <laughs> I'm an editor somehow to, to channel that and and contain it uh, in a kind of a way that that has begun to make more and more sense as as I've gone along. Uh, when I when I do these picture book stories, un, un, I do do novels as well. I do novels for young adults that are very realistic and and all about adolescent problems. My picture books tend to be much more fanciful for the kinds of reasons I've I've been describing and and when I do them they happen as a kind of explosion of energy. Uh, un, unlike Richard and Arthur, I did have a lot of picture books around me as a child. My favorite, my first favorite book was Dr. Seuss's first book. And to think that it happened on Mulberry Street and I spent hours at the library at a special table in a corner by the window of going over and over that book. Um, uh, but it's a kind of explosion of energy, too. And I find that, that the idea, when it happens, happens that I, I can do a first draft of, of a picture book, sometimes even in one day. And then it will take me a lot longer, over a period of, of weeks, perhaps, than with Marjorie's guidance uh, over longer, uh, for me to rewrite and craft the story in the way uh, others of us have been describing because a picture book is like that. It is uh, kind of like a poem, uh, very much like a poem. And my editorial training and my love of editorial work comes into that because I enjoy going through that crafting of the story kind of process. And when I'm done, I very often do a dummy for myself. I know that the manuscript is usually going to be around five pages long. And somehow, when I do the dummy and cut it up and actually set it up on the pages, it works out at 32. Uh, at, at this point in, in my career, I'm, I'm not even sure why or how that happens. But it happens pretty much every single time. When I write, though, unlike Arthur, perhaps because of his connection with Richard, I really do see the pictures as I write. And when Marjorie and, and I sit down to talk about an artist, and we always, unlike a lot of authors who don't have any part in the process of choosing the illustrator, I do share in this process. Marjorie and I choose the artist together. And we, have, we always see the same thing, have always seen the same thing in the story. But those pictures are, and the style of those pictures, I have seen as I've been writing the story. Uh, but there are different ways in which 
in which the stories happen, of very often now, Marjorie and I will sit down and, and talk about a story before I've even begun to write it. Uh, and for example, a very popular book of mine is The Biggest Pumpkin Ever. And the, the, con the conversation that went on uh, before I wrote that book was something like, well, why don't we do a book about a pumpkin? Well, how about a giant pumpkin? Well, how about a boy <coughs> and a witch growing the pumpkin, but not knowing that they were growing it? No, no, that's not going to work. How about two mice? <laughs> Always a safe thing. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the story, which I then had the idea for and, and went home and wrote. Uh, uh, Anita and I have just done a book together called Looking for Daniela, a, a wonderful book primarily because the pictures are so wonderful. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> but the way that book happened was that Anita had done a sketchbook full of pictures uh, that, that focused on this 18th century Italian clown. And, and she brought the sketchbook to me and asked if I could do a story to go with it. And I loved the pictures. And what I did was, was really go over them and string them all together. And when I had strung them all together, a story just came out of them. And I managed to include certain elements in, in the story that, that would be particularly dear to Anita. For example, Anita loves to draw sheep. Uh, so there's a, whole, there's a whole sequence in the story that, that features so some sheep and a shepherd and, and so on. And, and that was really how the book happened, out of the pictures. And then uh, after I'd written the story, Anita gave me some, you know, some editorial uh, advice on the yeah, manuscript. And then when the pictures, when Anita had done a dummy of the pictures, I went over the dummy and we talked some about that. So, that, so it was a, a real kind of collaboration. Uh, but most often, a book of mine begins with an image. And the story will grow out of the image. Of the book of mine that's just come out, The Hokey Pokey Man, is all about the invention of the ice cream cone. And what was happening was that Marjorie and I were thinking about doing a story about ice cream. But I couldn't figure out, couldn't discover how ice cream had been invented. No one knows. Uh, some people say it was Marco Polo who brought it back from the East. Uh, others say, oh, it was someone in England in the 17th century. Uh, someone else says, oh, it was Nero who, uh, who, whose slaves were sent up to the hills of Rome and they brought ice down from the tops of the hills and was formed into a confection. Well, there was no story there because it didn't have a basis. But along the way, I discovered that there were these conflicting versions of how the ice cream cone was invented. And I had this image of, of this particular fellow at the St. Louis World's Fair inventing the ice cream cone. And that was where the story began. And after that, I thought about the turn of the century and somehow the Lower East Side popped out at me. And so I wrote a story within a story that was based on the image of 
this man inventing the ice cream cone at that World's Fair, surrounded by the story that I invented that was set on the Lower East Side. And the two stories came together, and the book derived from that. <coughs> Besides looking for Daniela, Anita Lobel has illustrated a Caldecott Honor book called On Market Street, as well as a new coat for Anna and many other distinguished titles. Uh, she's an accomplished actress, storyteller, raconteur. She's That's really- That's quite an introduction. <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> she's, um, I think, a quite <laughs> remarkable person, which is one reason she can create these books. And now she will share with you some of her thoughts. Everybody has said everything there is to say. I have absolutely nothing to say, <laughs> but I'll try. Um, well, I would like to refer to, really, it was a lovely project that Stephen and I created together, and it almost had no business coming to fruition. Uh, I had kept a sketchbook of a clown, which was really doodles. That's all. It, I hate this thing. Um, it was, it was doodles. There was about 100 pages, and I had started with this. I very rarely do this. I'm very pragmatic. If, when I get a story, I break it down like a good girl to either 40 or 32 pages. And actually, until recently, I have done very little artwork that did not have something to do with children's books, and usually relating to a particular book, when I work on it, and how I work on it. But in the past couple of years, I've kept sketchbooks of flowers, of shoes. Um, and again, I'm very pragmatic about it. I will buy a sketchbook, and I will start on page one. And I know that when I get to page 70 or 100, that'll be the end of that project. And then I'll start another sketchbook. I buy myself very beautifully bound books. Well, I started this little clown, and I'll tell you how it came about. When On Market Street came out, uh, I don't know if, if you know it, but it's a book of alphabet, alphabetic figures. It goes from A to Z, and each figure has a, um, the, the connection is a shopping tour, and A is apples, B is books, and there is a through line in it. And it's figures, like 17th century figures, trade figures, and, and these creatures are made out of the things that they represent. Um, anyhow, when I, when I would go and talk or sign books at a bookstore or the library or something, I tried, somebody was named Mary, I would try to do something connected with the letter M or N or A or whatever, and it became impossible. Lines grew and I was drawing and drawing and drawing. Well, on the toy page, in the middle of this figure, which is kind of like a doll's house with, with things in it, there's a little roly-poly clown. Everybody likes clowns. So it was, it was a compromise. I thought, I'll start drawing this clown, whether it's Susie or Kevin or Anna or whatever. I'll just do this clown, and I'll dedicate it. And I developed this creature, a round thing with a little clown hat, a real pulcinella, but you know, very childlike, stick figure type, the sort of thing that one draws on, on the title page of a book when you're signing books. Well, eventually, he, became, he started doing things all by himself. Sometimes he had a sheep behind him. Sometimes there was a moon and the stars. Sometimes he was carrying flowers. So I started keeping this sketchbook. 
And first he was very simple, and then he got very complicated. And finally, the, toward the end of the sketchbook, there was a real situation where he, he appears in a dreamlike thing. He's chased by robbers, and there is a lady love somewhere in the distance. And I showed this, it was 100 pages, and I got to the end, that was the end of the clown. I showed this to an editor, not here today. And she said, oh, this is just wonderful. You really must do something with this clown. And I thought, I wanted to draw it. I didn't want to write anything. I'm, I don't consider myself a writer. I have written things, usually when I feel like illustrating something in particular. And that has not forthcome. A manuscript hasn't been offered to me. So I will create something for myself. But it is really what it is. I'm creating a screenplay for something that I want to stage. Well, Stephen and I or how that could be developed into a continuity, because there was essentially no continuity in this 100 pages. There was no story. It was just images. And he came back to me with a lovely story. And I took it to this particular place with the, where the editor had liked this, uh, and she didn't like that story with these pictures. It was a great embarrassment to me because I didn't know, I mean, what do I do now? You know, do I say to Stephen, well, I'm terribly sorry, she liked my pictures, she didn't like, blah, blah. So I said to Stephen, take it somewhere else. And I will not use these pictures, but I'll do them in a different way. And this is how it came about. I, don't, I think that I heard the story about all about Eve, that somebody had one kind of an approach and somebody had another kind of approach, and finally that happened, <laughs> and it was pretty good. <laughs> so, and we, we had a wonderful time working on it because there was essentially no problem, and it is true that Stephen writes for, with a visual approach, and when I started breaking up this manuscript, it sort of did it by itself, and he had managed to cull from this thing a story that had a wonderful continuity that was truly grounded in the pictures that I had originally done, but some, an entirely different project happened, the third one. It was a very happy collaboration, and I hope we have other ones. Um, we will. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a very pragmatic person. I don't think of myself as somebody who sprang from under a cabbage destined to be a storyteller or a illustrator, it happened to be something that appeared out of the business world at a time when I was freshly out of art school, actually not so freshly, I had done something else, I used to be a textile designer, and it appealed to me, it appealed to me for many different reasons, uh, because it's a theatrical form, because it is, a it is a storytelling form where you can tell things in tandem. And because when I was a little girl, I never had any books. I grew up during the war, and wh where I grew up, I went to church. And I think that all the, the, the things that came, any kind of inspirational images that I had, any aesthetic experiences came out of the church. Church windows, music, a strange language, which was Latin of the mass, and I think these are the things that influence me. But 
more than making it, I, I don't mean to make it sound precious or mysterious in any way. Uh, I think that artwork should be demystifying. And I think that an artist is there to do, to do a job, to create a project and send it on its way. Of course, one can't help, one's ego can't help but be proud when you see a book and it's nicely printed and sometimes when it's not nicely printed and when it's, let it go. Let it be, there's the next one. I'm really not that interested in what I do after it's done. While I'm doing it, it's a struggle. After I've done it, it's not mine anymore. I'm usually on my way. People always ask, which is, what, which is your favorite book? I don't think I have one. I don't think I ever will. I know that some have been easier to do than others. Some have been better printed than others. And as far as, I like doing what I'm doing. It's a struggle, but I also don't know whether I couldn't be doing something else just as well if it had come along. It just happens to be this, and it's very suitable. I, I, in response to, I think, Richard, I think what I enjoyed about it was the fact that it's m making pictures in a series, a continuity. The, the exciting thing is what to leave out, where to leave, almost time it musically, and when to know where there's a space for silence. Let the story breathe for a while, and then go on to the next picture. Um, of course, if you illustrate a, a book that is separate stories, or I did a book of songs, that's easy because you have to have a style that is continuous, but at the same time, each picture is a new image. You don't have to, the, the characters aren't going through the same thing over and over and over again. Um, I don't, oh, I, I know what I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell you I'm not a goddess, but I'm a fairy godmother. After the, after the uh, uh, looking for Daniela was finished, on the day that I showed Stephen the pictures before I brought them in to do Marjorie, he was sick and lonely, and I gave him the phone number of my dear friend Abigail Aldridge, who is here tonight <laughs> and who is Stephen Crow's fiance. <laughs> They're about to be married in another month, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I'd like to introduce Emily McCulley. She's the illustrator of over 50 books for older and younger children, some of which she has also written. And recently, she has mastered the art of picture book writing by creating wordless picture books. They have no words at all. Um, uh, they're about a mouse family, very charming, thoroughly delightful. Um, among the titles are Picnic and The Christmas Gift, and here she is. Thank you. Um, I came to picture books as a, by way of, of a, a kind of personal process of integration, I think. When, when I was a child, I loved books, and I loved to draw, and I loved to write, and I consequently made a number of picture books myself and bound them and penciled in the copyright. And, <laughs> um, and I spent years doing that uh, up until the time I was probably 11 or 12. But as I became an adult, the expectations of adulthood as I understood them forced these two 
uh, impulses apart. And sometimes I drew and sometimes I wrote. And my ambitions became uh, definitely what I thought of as adult. I wanted either to be one of the glamorous uh, adult illustrators. And in those days, the illustrator's life for adult periodicals in particular did have a kind of glamour. And uh, it was little did I know it was <laughs> at its very end. <laughs> but that was one ambition. And the other was to be uh, a novelist, as, as Stephen desired to be. And I had no idea that they could be brought together and had no desire to do that. Um, I'm self-taught. When I graduated from college, I came to New York and uh, was at loose ends for, for a few months trying to figure out what I could do that didn't require typing, and finally got a, <laughs> a job in an art studio. And from there, uh, oh, I cut mats in an advertising agency, and, and I did different things and gradually put together a portfolio and made my visits to some 500 different addresses over and over and over and gradually began to get things like paperback book cover jobs. There was a new, as, as traditional uh, editorial illustration died out, there was a new sense of, of graphics that, that was becoming important and certainly still is today, and, and I got in on a little bit of that. In any case, eventually I did a poster that was in the subway advertising a radio station, had children in it, and a new editor at Harper and Row saw it and got in touch with me. Um, this is almost as good as <laughs> Stephen's marriage, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> from then on, I, I uh, was given manuscripts to illustrate uh, at an increasing rate, and I've done well over 100, Marjorie, and I can tell you that there's a big difference between a well-written picture book manuscript and a poorly written one, because I've done plenty of both. And um, it's a, it really is a struggle to illustrate one that, that does not lend itself well to pictures or isn't a good story, and there are so many of them. I think one of the one of the things that's come out in this discussion by excellent authors is that children's books have to be interesting. They have to be interesting to the person who wrote them to begin with, um, and that means you can't write down. Uh, you, I think it's true that, that one does not aim at children. Um, certainly not without the peril of, of being condescending or patronizing or the worst thing of all is to take what is a fresh originality, this is what we value in children, and impose on them, on that audience, some kind of platitude or, or half-baked truth that we think they should get. So what I love most of all is stories. And over these uh, years of illustrating other people's stories, which is a certain kind of skill. It's, um, I think, and the way Anita was describing it is the way I think of it. Uh, one learns to do the job. One sets up a kind of production company and, and does the sets and uh, casts the, the characters and so on and tries to do the best that can be done for a given story. Uh, it's very different for me, anyway, to make them up myself. And uh, I tried just writing manuscripts for a long time and didn't have the knack of it. And the wordless books was a breakthrough for me, um, realizing that I could that pictures that drawing pictures in sequence to tell a story is exactly the same as writing, or at least it is for me. It, all everything that comes into play and telling a story with pictures is the same as it is in, in trying to write it, um, 
except that in a way, a story just told with pictures seems to me to be more open-ended, to have more possibility, uh, particularly in its reception. Um, when I was growing up, I think I developed my own, my self-definition almost entirely in regard to books, uh, at least in my early years. And I think of children doing that now, of having this solitary recourse whereby they can decide what they think of the world, what they think of themselves. They can, uh, with some guidance from a, a good book, begin to question things and discover truths about the world. And it's all through imagination. And sitting with a picture book, you can sit as long as you want. You can look things over as long as you want. Um, the images of ordinary life go by so quickly. And the, the technological world we live in is so merciless that, that picture books seem to me to be just an extraordinary thing, that they still exist. It's a miracle. And <laughs> that I'm doing them is also kind of a miracle. Um, after I did the, uh, the Wordless series, where this mouse family is, is characters, and also the Four Seasons are characters, and then there's a fifth one tacked on for Christmas, uh, the seasons are, are characters. Um, they involve elemental experiences, uh, each one of which is appropriate to that season. Um, anyway, after I got through that, I decided to try something I felt was more complex, and that uh, to write stories about uh, another series. I mean, I, I guess what I should be saying is I like series because uh, it seems to me that, that I can explore much more deeply a number of, of complex ex life experiences that can be uh, told in, in picture book terms. Um, I don't think of them as simple stories. I think of them as, as accessible to children, but that, that they really do deal with, with many, many things that, that may not come out in the first reading or the second or the third, and that uh, the detail that I try to put in, in both the pictures and in the, uh, the manuscripts, is, has mostly to do with psychology, with, with characterization and, and uh, emotions and responses, uh, one character to another or to uh, the challenges that life presents. And I found, after all these years of illustrating mostly uh, humans, <laughs> uh, <laughs> more or less, uh, that I, I turned instinctively to animals and I just f felt completely liberated. And I think it has to do with, with being able to draw in a, in a much more um, informal way and to, uh, to just let that action be there and not worry about being true to somebody else's. I think it was the idea of being true to someone else's notion of what things should look like that uh, I felt was inhibiting. Uh, but the other thing is that, ch that animals, I think children can identify with animals, but I can also, with animals, uh, put them in situations that children would not be in. And I can let them be foolish in ways that would be insulting to children. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's more fun. And I do, uh, the subjects that I treat, now this other series is about a bare family of, of uh, actors. <laughs> and all the subjects that I that I deal with when I'm making it my own stories are things that do interest me now. And, and uh, I remember Arnold at one point when asked about uh, writing in a way that was appropriate to, to children, he said that he had an I can read mind. 
And, and, I, and I do too. I, uh, I've discovered writing I can read books. It's really fun. I don't feel that I'm holding back anything at all. And, um, it's, and it is a, a, a unique form that has to be observed, obviously, in order for it to be successful. But it seems to me that it's, it's, uh, it's also tough. I mean, you can do a lot of different things with it. You can throw it around and <laughs> throw it up in the air and let it fall where it will. Um, it's durable, and uh, that's about it. Well, that concludes um, our panel. Uh, and I thought now I'd open up the uh, floor to questions. Yes. Brooke, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> <laughs> because you don't put a lot of detail stuff in there. Oh, but I put what they're doing in there. Yeah. Um, well, I, the only thing I would I would comment on about that is that I think that, and I think everyone here would agree that you wouldn't want to do something specifically because you think that that's what people would like. Because I think that a book that is made to do well isn't a book at all. I mean, there's such a difference between books um, that, are, that are made out of a passion to to tell about something, you know, or even actually not even that. I think that I think that books are made out of a passion to spend time with something that you love, you know. So then you have a project you're going to write a book about it. So that the the only thing I think about that for sure is that I would never um, hold myself to anything that I heard that children would like you know, or wouldn't like. That's all. I do think uh, it's true that children are very literal, and they will always comment on things that, you know, are inconsistent. I think we're all very literal. But though. then I think, yeah. I think all of us are. I don't think adults are as literal as children. Yes, they Personally. are. I think they are. Well, um, um, but if you read a book to a if you read a book to a three year old and you read it to a 
40-year-old, the three-year-old, I guarantee would pick up things visually that the 40-year-old would miss. Mm -hmm. I think they see differently, yeah. and I think they see much better. Well, I think the whole uh, process of, uh, of creating any kind of uh, any kind of art is, is, is a, it's a concept, and in it there are the things that you leave out as well as the thing, and the things that you leave out sometimes underscore the um, focus of the things that you leave in. And I don't, I mean, so for every child who asks about some detail, there may be another one who is anxious to tell you that behind this closed door there's 15 things. And I think one just has to trust that. And naturally, there are some books that are more interesting to children than others, just like th just for the same reason that there is things that adults look at. And uh, I agree with Brooke that we can't be uh, constricted by worrying about, although sometimes one comes upon something and one thinks, oh boy, kids will love this. I think this is what I'll work on. But that's different than kind of putting in stuff by committee in order to please an audience, because it, it really isn't going to work in the end. No, I don't think so. I think your question was fine, no, but it was good because, because it opened up an argument. <laughs> okay, more questions? The gentleman in the rear. Okay, the question is if one has written a picture book text, does it have a better chance of being published if there are pictures that accompany it? They don't, that's why they ask artists to illustrate right. the books. Um, <laughs> no, you don't have a better chance if you include illustrations because um, uh, the publisher prefers usually to assign the picture book to an illustrator who's um, either already established or who's an, a new artist who's come in with a portfolio who's very talented. And often the artwork that, it, that accompanies a manuscript that comes in through the mail isn't really that good sometimes, but usually it's not. Question? Yes. Okay, the question is, um, most picture books appear to be uh, either 32 pages long or 24 pages long. Twenty-four pages or thirty-two pages. So is w uh, one length uh, more desirable in terms of selling the book? You want to answer that? Okay. Um, I'm I'm a little befuddled by the question because the most picture books are thirty-two pages. Uh, sometimes, if if the manuscript requires it, you will have a picture book that that turns out to be 40 pages. 
but it, it's, it's usually one of those two. If we're talking about 24 pages, it's, it's only because we're talking about front matter as, as well as, as illustrated story, so that you might have a, a text that, that divides up into, uh, say, 28 pages, and as opposed to 32, because four pages of front matter, or maybe there might be a fifth, possibly a fifth page of front matter. But, but the story that you will submit uh, is not going to be 32 pages long. It's not going to be 24 pages long. It's going to be a manuscript of perhaps five pages that can then be broken down and laid out in what comes to 32 pages or 40 pages, including front matter. So, so that it, it sounds as if your concern may be the, the wrong one. Am, am I answering the question that you've asked? Like, well, I think the question had partly to do with marketing. Is that right? Whether the length of the book would determine its um, success? I'm not sure. But in any case, um, the length really is re irrelevant, I think, to the book's success as long as it works. Okay, well, I would suggest odd length. Okay, the question is if a if a um, illustrated book is prepared as a twenty-four page book, will it still have a good chance of being placed with a publisher? I would say you should try and rethink it as a thirty-two page book. Yes, yes, and it has to do with the way the the printing press is right. set up. It's not just an arbitrary <laughs> magical figure. It's the way the press is set up. There are board books that are you know eight pages or ten pages, but that's a whole different category of book. Okay, question in the front row. Okay, the question is, uh, it's really a question about um, the pricing of books. Is a book that's more than $11.95 going to sell? Because the person who asked the question pointed out that Dalton um, claims it has a very hard time selling a picture book that is more than $11.95. Yeah, a lot of picture books are $14.95 now. Is there anyone on the panel who would like to comment on that? I would, okay. <laughs> I mean, again, you've got um, the 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 price isn't what's so worrisome, but what's really worrisome are books that are manufactured to sell, because 
You have people who will talk about how we want our children to read, we want our children to love books. Well, and those same people will just make up any stupid thing and, and just, just manufacture a book instead of publishing a book that someone has done because they, they've truly wanted to work with something and to communicate something. So I don't, I don't think the price is the really big problem. I think that the, but the mass market idea is a big problem and I'm often shocked by the books that I see parents carrying to the cash register. They're, they're like, they're non-books. Actually, there is a bookstore owner here. Could I call on Betty Takeyushi to answer this question? She's, she's from the San Marino Toy and Bookshop in San Marino, California. Is that okay, Betty? You don't have to answer, but I thought, you know, you probably can answer this better than any of us on the panel. Right on. <laughs> and Holiday Houses, <laughs> holiday houses books are expensive. I mean, we sell quality, and we haven't met with price resistance. Another question. Exactly. Right. Don't worry about them. Books will still sell. There's always a market for every kind of book. And there's paperbacks, okay, too. Okay, lady over by the glass bowl. Up there. Yeah, that's you. I'm sorry, I missed part of that. Oh, vocabulary. Okay, the question is, uh, do we think about vocabulary when we create um, picture books? Is there anyone on the panel who'd like to answer that? Emily or Arthur? Um, <laughs> how's that for vocabulary word? <laughs> uh, I, a lot of these questions like vocabulary or number of pages and you know chain things, uh, chain stores and all that, I think are um, are all things to think about, but I think uh, in in creating a book, it really uh, is uh, sort of far down on the list. When 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 I work on a book, the vocabulary comes from what the story is, and if there's a word that um, I don't understand, I look it up in the dictionary, and and I feel that um, I don't consciously concern myself with the vocabulary of a book. Uh, I concern myself with the sound of the language and sometimes very simple words are useful and on are, are right and sometimes long funny sounding words are right as well. So um, I think when, when you're talking about creating a picture book, all of these things sort of fall by the wayside. Um, the ideas of how long it is, or who will it sell to, or will it get published, and all of that. I mean, those are certainly 
important things to think about at some point, but in actually creating a book, um, it's not important at all. Oh, Stephen wants to add something. <laughs> a little something about that. Um, mo most of us who, who write picture books for young children have in some way been involved with textbook publishers who have wanted to take our stories and 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 really emasculate them in the interest of limited vocabularies and and all these kinds of things. What what has happened in the last couple of years is that the whole language approach to teaching has begun to take over and people have begun to discover that kids don't want to read these stories that are in these readers that have been watered down to such an extent that they really don't have any, have any impact anymore. And so books of that are books that, that do not have the, this same kind of concern are now starting to find their way into the classrooms as well as into bookstores and, and people's homes. So I think there is a, a shift away from this kind of feeling that because we're dealing with children, uh, we can't use two big words. Uh, you know, obviously there are some words that you that you would not include in, the, in a picture book, but like what? Well, I don't know, anti-disestablishmentarianism. I bet you they'd uh, love it if you just that. placed um, it in the right place. Um, you know, all I can think of is John Simon's style book. of writing would not would probably <laughs> not be appropriate to a picture book. Uh, but I think the answer is really what Arthur is saying, is that, that, that you write the book and, and it's these other things are very low on the list. Could I say something? Yeah. Well, I, when you read, you reach. And I, I do, and I, I don't know that I've ever read a fairly long book in, in which I've known every single word. And I also don't run to the dictionary either. There are a lot of words I've seen a lot of times, and I think I kind of have an idea of what they mean. But you, you don't expect any adult to know every word that they read in a book. And so that's part of reading, I think. Any questions? Um, the green dress in the back. All right, the question concerns uh, illustrating books for teenagers and what would really be appropriate for uh, a young adult novel. Um, before I open this up to the panel, are you, is it your, uh, your feeling that the books you're writing should have illustrations or do you have a publisher who is, who is, I see, okay. All right, how about um, Richard? Um, 
I have a sneaking suspicion that the packager in that project is going to get an illustrator who is going to take photographs of teenagers, put them in a projector, trace them, and make them look like soap opera characters because that's what they think that young adults like. If you look at a lot of the paperback jackets for young adult books, they're all traced photographs, um, very realistic. Well, I, see, I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but I, I've seen that done a lot for uh, teenagers where they, they, they tend a lot of times to use that very realistic look. I don't know. I, I think anything is appropriate. I think my work is appropriate for um, for teenagers as well as as younger people. Um, I think that a uh, a style is just a style, and it it has no um, age uh, barrier. But I have seen it a lot of times for for young adults where they they seem to have that that realism, that traced photograph realism in mind. All too often, to my mind. Actually, young adult, the look of young adult books is getting very stale mm -hmm. because there has been um, a very realistic approach uh, to the artwork on teenage jackets and really the time is overripe, you know, for a completely different visual approach. Um, and I just hope it occurs <laughs> soon. <laughs> More questions? Um, Okay, the question is from an artist who would like to know um, in what format she should pr present her artwork um, for publication. So, let's see, Anita or Richard or Emily, <laughs> would you like to address that or Dick? Well, I could just say that for my work, I uh, pick a size for the finished book and I do all of my pictures to the size. And if I was presenting a project to a publisher, I would show them the sketches, the dummy, and do one or two pictures right. as a finish to size, unless you find that too restrictive, do it a little bit up, a little bit larger, 25% or so. Um, that, that's my approach. You mean the size of the finished printed book? Well, anything Go smaller to the than I guess. Yeah. Well, but books have gotten smaller now, right? So well probably for a first book, really? They're smaller or bigger? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> actually, <laughs> the answer to your question is the size isn't important. What's important is the content. So and if you buy a portfolio. And the proportion. Well, yeah. The proportion to whatever page that you choose. I mean, if you have, if you have two facing pages, and you bleed things into into the gutter, it wouldn't be such a good idea. There, there is a sense of spacing and timing that's very important, where to leave a little breathing space, how to break up the text. And I think that's something to consider in the dummy. And I think Richard is right. One or two well-chosen moments in the text that you're il illustrating that you've done finished work. 
it's a sensible way of producing. I, I still do it. I mean, I have illustrated books for 25 years, and I wouldn't dream of presenting a project without dummying it up and showing at least one semi-finished illustration just to show what the whole thing is going to look like. Before I show the publisher. Oh, and even after, uh, you know, af if I'm illustrating a manuscript that was given to me, I will do that and I will dummy it up and show it to uh, to the editor so that they know what what to work with. Any question? Well, the question uh, has to do with what types of books we can look forward to in the 90s, especially when we examine the history of children's books and um, evaluate what has uh, been presented, been published in the past. And also, um, the person who asked the question commented on how much energy she feels when she goes into a bookstore right now. So... Uh, like to Emily. Um, I think that, that that's true, and I have the impression that a great many people who would have in the past gone into other kinds of illustration are going directly into children's books from art school, and that they are very highly trained and very imaginative and close to childhood and so on. Um, a lot of the <laughs> tremendously... Uh, <laughs> one uh, tremendously successful graphic work seems to me to be like highly uh, technical movies and beautifully produced uh, plays these days just empty or, or masking emptiness. Uh, so, you know, read the book too and look at it carefully if it looks full of energy. Um, the underlying fact is that, that sales have to be made in bookstores now and there's even such a thing as a children's bestseller list in Publishers Weekly, which I think is horrific. Um, and publishers, I think, are willing to, on the one hand, there seem to be a whole lot of, of wonderfully imaginative things that reflect real life in a way that children's books may not have so often in the past. But on the other hand, people, I think, are taking fewer chances and they want to reproduce successes. And uh, the old days when libraries represented 80% of the sales, uh, books could be published on all sorts of things. Uh, really with a, a small audience in mind because they would stay in print for years, they would be in libraries and so on, and things weren't nearly as expensive as they are. I think it's like finding the cure for a disease that not very many people have. Um, you know, they're not going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> they're not going to spend the money on it. <laughs> well, I mean, there has to be... Well, that's what it looks like now to me. But I think that there'll have to be a swing in the other direction, um, just as I think there'll have to be more small presses doing fine adult fiction, because the way that's going, there won't be any, any major publisher willing to take a chance on anything but a bestseller. 
So there'll be, something will come up from underground to, to fill that need, I would assume. Who knows, maybe there won't, <laughs> maybe there won't be any books, but yeah. that's my opinion. Yeah. Does anyone else on the panel want to comment on that? Because it is an interesting. I, I think it's, yeah, uh, just very quickly, I think what is happening with books is that there is a sort of a desperation afoot. Books have to compete with much more powerful media, you know, you can't beat video and movies and things like that. People are finding it harder and harder to sit still uh, for the <laughs> printed page, and so therefore the books have to overcompensate for that. I mean, how many adult books come out that you know from the way you look at the cover and who has written it that it's only there for a little while before it gets picked up by the movies? Picture books for children are somewhat gentler and more precious kind of niche. Uh, they're not that important, so maybe they'll survive. But I think it's true that they're trying to compete with other media and then all of this pizzazz and technical prowess is really... I mean, it intimidates me. I can't draw like that. I can't draw like 25-year-olds who have just started. But I can put a content in that maybe they can't. But I, I don't worry about it, but I think there is a desperation afoot up there by somebody's part. I think we think we're losing books, all of us. Actually, I think our books are losing passion. Um, I'm very concerned that because of all this competition that books are becoming overly designed and overly decorative and that the, the, the heart and soul of a book is being sacrificed. I would like to call for more passion, more depth and more soul in the picture books that we publish in the next 10 years. That kind of sums it up. I, I, I would only say that, that uh, I find in, in going out and, and talking to children and, and reading to children that, that there is a, co a continued fascination with the book that even in the midst of all of this other media that, that, you know, that we are up against, uh, w when the, the educators are right, when, the, when this, the school and home situations are right, there is this, just this continued fascination with, with what makes up a book and what a book is and and what I'm what I'm finding in the field is field that goes hand in hand unfortunately with this this lack of passion in some quarters um, um, among mostly I think younger artists uh, is a sense of diversity of increased diversity and that that diversity is a good thing that it, it helps to maintain uh, interest for, for something that unto itself has a, a, a kind of very special place. Okay, we have time, for, I'd say, for two more questions. Yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? Are you a writer or an illustrator? Great. <laughs> you have to um, think of a story, okay? And then you have to write it down um, and revise it and perfect it and then submit it to an editor at a publishing house. You should get a copy of Literary Marketplace at your library. Um, 
you can't buy it in a bookstore. You can go to your library, get Literary Marketplace, look up all the children's book publishers, and then uh, mail it to an editor who's listed. And, uh, and it's a good idea to call ahead of time and be sure the publishing house accepts unsolicited manuscripts because some houses do not. That's a good idea. Children's Book Council at 67 Irving Place. I would just like to say the advice I give is to really depends on the publisher. Um, I say, though, in general, uh, publishers will look at more unsolicited manuscripts, children's book publishers, than adult publishers will. Okay, I think. Yeah, we're here. We'll stay as long as you want. I just, if any of you need to leave, though, please. Okay. Yeah, and then um, The question is um, if there's a perhaps a preference um, for animal characters versus human characters, or or what is um, a publisher's point of view on this? And Emily should answer this one. I have I have no idea. I hope that that editor was was responding to your story, and and I, I think you know even this is a little out of line in his part, but it, but I, I would hope that he was <coughs> suggesting that your particular story would be better served by human characters than animal. Um, yeah. Well, I guess what you learn from that is to steer clear of him and <laughs> go somewhere else. I don't know about... Tr well, even if there were, you know, you've got to write what you want to write. The, the comment is um, the Board of Education has published a list of books by title and publisher, a, an ordering catalog um, that lists the title but not the author and presumably the illustrator. And it's really thick and obviously it's an important ordering tool. 
So maybe we should all write letters to the Board of Education. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's a shame, really. The only thing I can suggest is to get hold of books in print. And I think we should. Yeah. We should talk about it. told as, as co-chairman co of the Penn Children's Book Committee that I should tell you that we are going to look into this. <laughs> and, and thank you. Thank you. All right, question in the front row? Take a beautiful. The question uh, was really, it was another question about the 90s and whether we should be more optimistic as we look <laughs> forward to the 90s since there's more global intercommunication and certainly a much stronger social um, uh, network between uh, the Soviet Union and America. And I'll open this up to the panel, but I will say that I recently read Decline of the West that was published in 1917, <laughs> and, and, and the author um, predicted that the next great cultural revolution would be in Russia. And I certainly think uh, 
that the more global communication there is, the more the art world is going to benefit. So anyway, who would like to comment well, on this? I'll, I'll just say one quick word about that, that I hope won't betray the hope that you are expressing. But <laughs> um, but I, I, I uh, and I hope to share that hope, um, but I've also seen the um, scholastic book, the collaboration of the Soviet Union and Frank uh, Ash, called Here Comes the Cat. And um, though I must say I, I am extremely encouraged by the idea of that kind of collaboration, since I've spent my life collaborating, and the idea of collaborating with somebody uh, halfway around the world is extremely interesting. The book itself, forgetting about the idea that this is an extraordinary event, the book itself, um, uh, I'm trying to be tactful, is, <laughs> is, uh, is, is, um, is not very good uh, in the sense that it falls into the category of what the rest of the people are talking about. It's not, it's not that it's so flashy, because that is a huge problem in children's books now, tremendous problem, but it is devoid of any real story, so to speak. And I think that it's a great idea, and I think we have too many great ideas and not enough um, mm. stories and, and feelings and commitment to, to the work. And I, I, um, I think the hope for me is that there are people like the people here and people somewhere out there that will still be committed to doing what they want to do. And that's what makes me nervous about the questions of the people here, that they're so concerned about what the publisher will think or what the editor will think or what the marketplace will think or what their partner will think or whatever. And what it comes down to it is that it, it, um, if I can serve as any example being up here, is that I started out and continue to not care about any of those things um, in the sense that um, you, you just can't when you're making something. You can't care about what whether it's going to sell or how long it is or anything. You just have to write your story or draw your pictures and then then you can worry. But if you worry beforehand, then um, maybe you should take up something else. Um, so uh, don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Question, <laughs> gentlemen. The question uh, is really directed toward each individual on the panel because the question is, uh, as an illustrator, uh, what do you uh, like to see in a manuscript? As a writer, 
what do you like to see in the illustrations? And as an editor, what do you like to see when it's all done? Right over and done with. Okay, let's just well. start with Arthur. Good, this gives me a chance to not seem like such a dark fellow. Um, what, what, I, what makes me very happy to see after I, I write a story, and particularly when I'm working with Richard, um, since I, I do write without any pre preconceived notions of what the pictures will look like, um, I think that the key element that makes me uh, laugh and be compelled by what Richard does is his personality infused in the pictures, his, um, his vision that doesn't violate my vision, that doesn't take it away or rob it or, or go against it, but somehow um, builds on it and, and extends it and opens it up. And um, I think that's the key in terms of, from my mind, want to know about collaboration, that, that's sort of the key, key element. So that every time I hand a, a story into Richard, and he comes back and says that he's finished and he's happy with it. It's a little bit like Christmas. It's sort of opening up this package and seeing things that I um, sort of knew would be there, but they're totally fresh and new and unique. And um, if there's hope, that's the kind of hope to generate artists who are willing and committed, and in some way in these days brave enough to use themselves and, and impart that in their work. The first thing I like to see is a manuscript of three pages or less. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've received many manuscripts for picture books that were 10, 15 pages, and they say, oh, well, we'll cut it down. And it's hard for me to find the thread of the story if there's so much text. I, I, it's too difficult for me to work with. The other thing I like in that short text is a real story that is a tight and contained, succinct, that, um, and, and I've received stories that sound like, sound like a summary of some other story. And I think that's what's difficult about writing a picture book text. In that short text, that's the story. You're not telling somebody about a story, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> And it has to be conveyed somehow in that text, and that, that excites me. If I find that, I feel like we've got something really good to work with. Brooke collaborates with herself, See, however. I, I've had ten. Oh. <laughs> I've answered one. Yeah. All right, Stephen? Well, I have a slightly different sort of perspective from, from Arthur in, in that, as I said before, I, I really do see the pictures as I write the words. So, so, but then that has to be qualified by the fact that when we choose the artist, when Marjorie and I choose the artist, uh, we are really choosing someone who is going to realize a certain kind of vision. We, we know the style, the style in which the artist works. And, and so we, we know that the, stor the story is going to be illustrated in a certain way. Uh, what's uh, astonishing to me is is how, without giving the artist any kind of guidance, since the author never does that, how frequently, oh, uh, what the artist does 
resembles to, to such a great extent what I've been imagining in my head. So, so the, the first point that I, that I would obviously make is I like to see what it is I've envisioned. Now, of course, that doesn't mean details because details are always different, but, but, but that's sort of the next part of what I love about seeing the pictures is that the, dif the differences that the artist of manages to to in include and and, that the, and the differences that the artist captures I, I always love because they enhance the, the story that I've written so that's really the next thing that that I, that I want to see something that really does in, enhance the story that I've written and what's usually involved in that is a kind of energy and life and humor that that make me feel in some way you know exalted and and that always happens it pe people say well you know the art you know the artist gets the manuscript what happens if it comes in and nothing looks the way you want it to look I say if you choose the right artist I can't tell you why or how this miracle happens but it does it comes in looking the way you want it to look it's this kind of marvelous chemistry that simply happens I think Stephen is very generous I can't imagine what I would do if I were writing and then handing my stories over to somebody else I might not be quite so wonderful about it I've done three things. I have written my own things and illustrated them, and I've sometimes found that I've created a monster. I, start, I write something that I want to write, and then I realize, well, I've done it already. Now I have to do the pictures, too. And usually I've written it because I thought I will create something for myself that I really want to do. The other thing was, of course, I worked with my husband, and that was wonderful because we were able to back, and then I did the same thing with Stephen. We just decided what each one of us wanted to do for the other, and it was a true collaboration and very few conflicts because there was no question. I mean, everybody knew what the thing was going to look like. I don't worry so much about whether the manuscript is short or long, depending on the amount of content that is in proportion to what it is. Sometimes you can have one word on a page, and it is rich, and it tells a story. And other times, you have a more archaic type of storytelling, and then you just break it up differently. And I have illustrated longer books where you then have to space the illustrations and decide which is the... Um, telling moment, which is the one that you choose that is going to summarize a lot of things that are going on. I think I may be doing a, a children's novel, a reissue of a children's novel, uh, a classic, and that, of course, will create, a, create an entirely different problem than breaking up a text for a 32 or 40-page picture book where the continuity is entirely different and the spacing between the pictures is different. Um, but what I what I want to, what I want to see when I get a manuscript is I usually get a vision, and they're not necessarily the same vision, but they have to in some way relate to what I know I'm capable of doing. I wouldn't get a manuscript about truck drivers, for instance, 
or I wouldn't be given a manuscript uh, of a teenage novel where everybody looks romanticized. It would, it would already have been pre-selected by the time I'm asked to do it. And I have to see a journey, and I have to see images. And they're not necessarily exactly the same images that are written out in words, but what these words make reverberate in me, and how I will create a passage or a quest or an attainment of something. It all sounds pretentious, but that's the way it works out. Um, originality, uh, someone's particular slant on, on things, um, there, there's a, an authority to something that's well-written. This is true for adult books, children's books, any, anything that's, that's written. There's a particular authority, and one responds to it. Um, if I get a manuscript and I read it right through with enjoyment, then I'm going to want to illustrate it, no matter what it's about. Um, but they're rare. They're really few and far between. <laughs> and, uh, so short of that, uh, something that will be challenging that, um, from an illustrative point of view, or from an illustrator's point of view, just something that will extend my experience uh, would be second best to a really well-written story. And as an editor, um, I really consider myself a midwife, you know, an agent <laughs> via which a creative work can be sh shared with the world. So really, once the book is uh, completed and bound and ready to go, to go out to the uh, wholesaler, I feel like a proud mother. I love going to conventions because I feel like I'm introducing my children <laughs> you know, to the world. Uh, let's see. All right. Two more questions. You first. One last question here. You're all invited to a reception in the back of the room. And thank you very much. We enjoy sharing our ideas.